From NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News, this is the Lone Star Politics Podcast. I'm Chris Blake. Things have not slowed down a bit in the world of politics since the November election. In fact, if possible, they've gotten even busier. Last week, the U.S. House voted to impeach President Trump for a second time, and the Texas legislature started its 2021 session. Today, Julie Fine and Gromer Jeffers talked to Congressman Joaquin Castro, who was named one of the House impeachment managers by Speaker Nancy Pelosi. They also talked to the new Texas Speaker of the House, Dade Phelan, and State Representative Jessica Gonzalez. The United States House of Representatives on Wednesday voted to impeach President Trump. All 222 Democrats voted to impeach, along with 10 Republicans. Among House members from North Texas, the vote went down party lines, although Kay Granger, a Republican from Fort Worth, did not vote. Pat Fallon, a Republican from Kaufman, said he saw nothing wrong with the content of the president's speech before rioters stormed the Capitol. I'm going to vote no, um, and you have to, words mean things. And I do agree with my Democratic friends on that. And so I read the president's speech, and I didn't find anything that would remotely rise to the level of impeachment. Now, whether the the, the rally itself was ill-timed or not is one thing, but again, that's not an impeachable offense. Pelosi named the House impeachment managers last week. The lead manager is Jamie Raskin of Maryland. Castro, from San Antonio, is one of eight other impeachment managers. Here he is with Julian Gromer. You're one of the impeachment managers. The Senate did not vote to convict the president last time. Do you expect it to be any different? I'm optimistic that there will be more votes to uh, not only impeach, but to convict President Trump for inciting a deadly insurrection at the United States Capitol, an attempted coup. And I say that I'm encouraged because Mitch McConnell, Lisa Murkowski, and others have made statements about their own concern uh, that this was an impeachable offense. And so, you know, we're going to make our case to the Senate and also to the American people. Uh, and I hope that the Senate will hold the president responsible. Representative, uh, President Trump will be out of office when he is tried in the Senate. Uh, so what's the goal here? Uh, you're right that there's a possibility that this could start after the president has left office, but it's still important for a few reasons. First, you still have to have accountability because you don't want to send a message to future presidents that they can commit any crime or incite an insurrection in the last month or the last few weeks of their term and that there won't be any consequences. So it's important to see this through. There's also the matter of Donald John Trump being able to run for the presidency again. Uh, and somebody who incites an insurrection against the United States government shouldn't be able to run for federal office ever again. And so that's at stake as well. And I know there's precedent for this. So you, Ulysses Grant's secretary of war was uh, tried, uh, impeached and tried after he resigned. Uh, but do you expect legal challenges uh, from, from Trump's camp on this issue? Uh, at every impeachment, there have been different motions and legal challenges to the proceedings, and I think that this will be similar to those in that sense. Uh, so, yes, we're prepared for legal challenges from the Trump uh, side. Ten Republicans joined the Democrats in the vote this week. They included Representative Liz Cheney, who's in leadership. Your reaction to her making that decision to do that? Well, as you can imagine, on many substantive policy issues, I have deep disagreements with Liz Cheney. But I have to give her credit and the other Republicans who stood up and put country over party, but also put country over person and were able to look at the facts, the fact that for weeks 
Donald Trump was telling a big lie that the election was stolen from him and from his supporters. And so, of course, when a president of the United States, the most powerful person on earth, tells his supporters that the election was stolen from them, that's going to get people very riled up and then ask them to go march to the Capitol that very morning. And that's what they did. And some of them broke into the Capitol and rioted and took over the Senate floor uh, for her to be able to come out and separate herself from her own party and even her own ideology and say that's wrong. The president should be held accountable. I actually think that that that's commendable. You know, Joe Biden is on the on deck circle. He's going to be inaugurated in a few days. Are you worried that the Senate impeachment trial will get in the way of his agenda? Well, you know, obviously, this is not how Joe Biden envisioned uh, the beginning of his term starting. Uh, for those of us who believe in the issues that he's raised, uh, whether it's ridding the country of COVID-19, dealing with things like immigration reform and infrastructure and bouncing back the economy, uh, this is not the way that we envisioned it. But this is a necessary step for our country, not only to hold President Trump accountable, but also for our nation to begin healing uh, the divide that has widened over the last four years under President Trump. You have called for Senator Ted Cruz's resignation. I spoke to him. He responded by saying this is playing politics. Your reaction to that? Uh, Ted Cruz is a very intelligent guy. Uh, and so he knew what he was doing when he also spread the lie that there was massive voter fraud that took place. He did so without providing a single shred of evidence. And he did so in a very hostile, combustible political environment. And because of that, because he essentially enabled President Trump, Ted Cruz should be held accountable. And I believe that he should resign. And I agree with the senators who have asked for his resignation. And also those in the donor class, whether it's businesses or individuals, uh, including some who have worked for Ted Cruz on his staff and in his campaign, uh, who have said that his behavior uh, was very unbecoming of a U.S. senator, and he shouldn't represent Texas. Are there any other tools? Uh, because it doesn't look like he's going to resign. I mean, censure something else that at your dis disposal where you can hold him accountable? Well, it'll be an issue that's taken up by the U.S. Senate and his fellow senators. Uh, there is uh, an opportunity to try to expel him. Of course, there's a very high bar for that in terms of the votes that you need. Uh, but there's also the possibility of a censure. Uh, but most of all, I think the people of this country, when they listen to Ted Cruz and uh, Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri, again, another very bright person, uh, they saw two individuals who were placing their own political ambitions over the safety and the welfare of the country at a very combustible moment. Before we let you go, switching gears to Texas here, there have been many complaints about the vaccine rollout. What do you think is the best solution right now to get these vaccines in people's arms? You're right. I mean, the vaccine rollout in Texas has been very challenging. Uh, I've been very critical of Greg Abbott, the governor, and the state and how they've handled this. Uh, in many areas of Texas, they haven't worked well with the local governments. I get calls every day and emails from people that don't know who to call to get a vaccination. So what I'm hoping is that the federal government will step in in a more aggressive way, provide more money, which is in Joe Biden's COVID relief plan, uh, but also give these vaccinations directly to the cities rather than trying to run them through the federal, through the state governments, 
give them directly to the cities and towns uh, so that they can get them to the people even faster. Congressman Joaquin Castro, thanks so much for being with us. We know you have a busy week coming up, so we appreciate your time. Stick with NBC5 and NBCDFW for extensive coverage of Joe Biden's inauguration on Wednesday. Let's turn our attention to state politics. The 87th Texas legislature kicked off last week under circumstances not seen in a century. The body is convening in the midst of a pandemic and under threat of violence after the FBI warned of armed protests at all 50 state capitals. There's also a new Speaker of the Texas House. Representative Dade Phelan, a Republican from Beaumont, secured the necessary votes on the chamber's first day. He replaces Dennis Bonin, who held the post for just one term. In an interview with Julie on the eve of the session, Phelan discussed the budget deficit facing lawmakers, meeting in person during the pandemic, and the task of redistricting with numbers from the 2020 census. First of all, thanks so much for being with us. There were a lot of people that wanted to be speaker. How did you get the votes? Well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity to, to, to speak with your, um, your audience. Uh, you know, I didn't really want to be speaker, to be honest with you. It's, um, it's a tough job. And uh, over the summer, during the shutdown, during the pandemic, I started getting phone calls from colleagues of mine who who's kind of talked me into it. Uh, they came from all walks of life. They came from all over the state. And I, as I started listening to them, I started entertaining the thought. It kind of someone plants that seed in your mind and you, you kind of start letting it grow, right? And then I had to go running past my wife to make certain that was something she would let me do. And then as we got closer to the election and it looked like Republicans were going to have the majority in the House, we, you know, I uh, took the race a lot more serious and, and jumped in and then went out there and just just worked with the members and made phone calls and reminded them who I am, who I am and, and what I'm like to work with. So that's how I got there. You know, you come to the legislature, to the helm of the House, at a very difficult time. What are your legislative priorities? You're right. This is going to be a session like none other. People always say that. Every session, like, this is the most difficult session. Now, this, this is going to be one for the books. It's our first time in 102 years that we're going to convene during a pandemic. So no one who's served in this legislative body really understands what we're about to face as we go into the um, to the next 140 days. We also have a budget deficit. And of course, that's the direct result of COVID-19. We were supposed to have more resources in which to craft a budget. We were supposed to have a budget circulus uh, after last session, and all that's gone away. We're now gonna have a budget deficit. Oh, and by the way, 1,000 people are moving here every day. They're not bringing asphalt, and they're not bringing public education teachers with them. They're not bringing DPS officers with them. So the core function of government is still growing, but we have less resources in which to work with. We also have redistricting. It's that it's that uh, ten-year process in which we fill out our census forms, mail them in the federal government, and we find out how many people are in our communities in the state of Texas, and we draw those lines accordingly. So it, it's a it's going to be a difficult session. It will be highly contentious based on what I just laid out. After that, I ask the members to bring their priorities to the floor, work their bills, and see what they can get passed. It's it's going to be their agenda. When you talk about the agenda, obviously you're going to have to tackle COVID right at the beginning. I mean, look at the way you're meeting. It's totally different. How do you go about getting your arms around such a big problem? Well, we're going to do a day at a time, a week at a time. It's such an overwhelming task to look at how we're going to bring in 150 members from all over the state and pass legislation that impacts 29 million people 
or 30 million people, you know, depending on the census, without listening or hearing input from those 30 million Texans. We all want, we all want public feedback. We want, we are citizen legislators. We want to hear how what we're doing impacts the community. And it's difficult to do that in a, in a COVID environment. So the House will take up the rules uh, this week and how we will adjust uh, this body and how we will possibly meet in committee and bring in, say, virtual invited testimony for, uh, for some bills, how we limit um, how many people come in the building per CDC guidelines. You know, as of right now, uh, testing is optional, uh, but each member has the opportunity to decide how they want their office to operate. Do you want someone in who has tested or not tested? We're going to ask individuals to wear masks in the common areas, just like we do back home in the grocery store at the courthouse or the schoolhouse. So we're going to try to function as normal as possible and try to bring as many members of the public in to give testimony and weigh in, but at the same time, obviously keep public health as a um, priority. When you talk about safety in terms of COVID, we just saw some really challenging images at the United States Capitol. How do you make sure that the Capitol here in Texas is safe? It's the difference between Texas and Washington, D.C. If you walked out right now, you would feel a whole heck of a lot more safe in the Texas Capitol than you would in Washington, D.C. DPS has done an excellent job of making certain that we have enough officers here to protect the Capitol and protect the citizens working in this capital and visiting this capital, and of course the National Guard is here as well, just to make certain that if we have any issues like occur in Washington D.C., we will not be, we will be not, we will not be caught off guard. You know, I talked to the last two speakers about this, and I always ask them, you know, you envision getting into that office and you think about getting into that office, but now you're sitting in that chair. Yeah, it's a little overwhelming. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little overwhelming. There's no doubt about it. But at the you know at the forefront of my mind, I'm still Dave Phelan, uh, state representative from House District 21. I still have constituents I must represent from Orange and Jefferson County, and I will never forget that. And uh, much of which uh, I will be doing as a state rep, I'll still be doing as the Speaker of the House. But now I have 149 other constituents who happen to be Type A personalities who are elected officials just like myself. So. I've been around the House for a while as a former staffer in the House, former staffer in the Senate, and, and even in D.C. before I started my real estate business back at home in Beaumont. So been around the block a few times. I have deep respect for the people's house. I think the Texas House representative is as close to the people as you get. And as long as you allow members to vote their district and bring their priorities forward, then we're going to have a great session. Representative, appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. We stay in the State House now, continuing to look at some bills expected to be filed this session. This week, Julian Gromer talked to State Representative Jessica Gonzalez, a Democrat from Dallas. Gonzalez was just elected to her second term in the House to represent District 104 in southern Dallas County. It includes all of Cockrell Hill and about a third of Grand Prairie. She is the vice chair of the House LGBTQ Caucus and plans to introduce a far-reaching anti-discrimination bill. At least one House Republican has already confirmed he would back the effort, according to Texas Monthly. Here's Gonzalez with Julian Gromer. All right, well, Representative, thanks so much for being with us. Of course. Let's begin, first of all, about you know your priorities this session, bills that you're filed, what's important to you. Um, well, I, I had announced last, I believe it was about a year and a half ago, that um, I made it was going to make it my top priority uh, this next session uh, to file a comprehensive non-discrimination 
uh, bill in the Texas House uh, and with the hopes of getting it passed for the first time uh, in Texas history. So um, I, I, despite the uh, election uh, result or the outcome, uh, I, I've still, uh, I'm, it's still my top priority this session uh, to continue the conversations around, uh, around this piece of legislation. But um, yeah, that is my, my focus um, this, this, uh, this, this session. Well, Representative, tell me about the first week. It must have been strange. What's, what has been the impact of the pandemic and, and how are you guys going about doing your business? Uh, well, there were some, you know, some some memos that had been sent out, you know, previously to the members and just trying to be mindful, right, that we're in the middle of a global pandemic and and uh, requiring, you know, face masks. Uh, a lot of those a lot of those rules we 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 uh, voted on yesterday on how we were going to conduct business, um, you know, given the pandemic. Uh, and then, you know, DPS um, had announced, you know, also they were going to be offering COVID test COVID testing uh, for the public and that were, they were required to take a COVID test before entering the building. So that was announced the day before. Um, you know, there were limitations as far as you know the public being able to to gain to go inside of the gallery to actually watch you know the swearing-in ceremony. Um, you know, so it was very different. You know, normally you know when we get sworn in, you get to have you know two folks with you on the on the floor. Um, you know, I took my parents last session, and you get to have you know some other members that can you know sit in the either on the outside of the rails or in the gallery. Uh, but this time that was reserved for, um, you know, for newer members. Uh, they were able to have their guests on the outside railings and um, some other, you know, folks that were that were guests up in the gallery. But, you know, it was very different. You know, typically, you know, Gromer, you've, you've been there on opening day, I'm sure, several times. And uh, it's just kind of a zoo. Uh, and people are, it's exciting. You know, it's exciting because everybody's excited. You know, you have the constituents there and supporters and, you know, new members that are excited about getting sworn in and, you know, and just returning after being gone for a year and a half and seeing our colleagues. And, you know, it was, it was different um, because you can't socialize with folks um, in, a, in a manner that you're used to socializing with them. What do you think um, earlier this week, the House voted pretty close to unanimously on um, Representative Dave Phelan as speaker. How do you think he will lead this body? Uh, you know, in my experience working with, you know, with, uh, with Dave and with the speaker last session, um, you know, we worked together on some amendments, uh, some legislation. Uh, you know, he's he's a straight shooter. You know, we had some conversations even leading up uh, when this when there was still a speaker race. Um, you know, a, a couple months ago, and you know, he seemed very open to you know working with us on on, on a whole host of issues. You know, one of them being uh, making sure that that committee assignments um, that there was diversity on committee assignments and that women were uh, being considered. Uh, to, to serve on these important committees like appropriations and calendars. Uh, so in my experience, uh, you know, and, and, you know, and, and also just seeing some of the work that he did as chair of state affairs, um, I'm hopeful um, that he will continue uh, to lead the house in a way that, that, you know, he has, has been in leadership in the past. You have been vocal about the need for women in the legislature to be uh, in, in, in high priority positions, more, more chairmanship or chairwomanships. Uh, there's never been a woman speaker and, and you've been hopeful that, to, to change that, you and some other women in the legislature. How is that going and, and, and how was that impacted by the Democrats uh, not being able to take over the House? Um, well, you know, as you, know, you mentioned that, um, there were a, a handful of us that started a, a voting block, which you know, were being coined as an equity block. But behind, I mean, but the, the goal of that was to make sure that there was parity in the House, um, that women were in some of these, you know, uh, positions. Like, for example, uh, last session uh, in the Calendars Committee, there was only one woman. 
um, that served on that committee. There was only one woman that served on state affairs. And state affairs, I mean, there's so many uh, important bills that impact the entire state in a, in a huge way. And so we need to have diversity on there. We need to have different voices. And so, um, you know, we, we formed this block and we got some, some other folks, including men, um, that were part of our block. And, you know, and we use that, you know, in having conversations with, um, you know, with, with Dave and other folks that were still in the running for, for speakership. And just talk about that. That was important for us. And whoever the next speaker was going to be, that um, we, we would give our support to whoever, um, if they were willing to apply that in the, in the House when, they, when it comes to committee assignments. And so, um, you know, Dade, again, in our conversation with him, he seemed uh, very responsive and said he wanted to work with us on making sure that happened. Are you more confident than you've been than you have been in the past that um, there will be more women in high ranking roles? Um, I have to be confident about it. I mean, we had that that conversation, and and um, I expect for him to follow through uh, with what with what he told us. Are you worried about the uh, political the national political climate? What happened in in, in Washington at the Capitol on January sixth? Uh, are you worried about something like that happening in Texas at your capital? You know, there was there were some reports that there was going to potentially be some rioting and some protests opening day. Uh, and so, you know, there were there were several, I forget how many DPS officers that were there, um, you know, to make sure that we were all safe if that were to happen. Uh, fortunately, that did not happen. Um, but, you know, I don't expect that that something like that would happen. And, and you know, the, the members that are in the House do not support that. I mean, there's several that have been vocal. Um, you know, I'm sure there's some that um, uh, have, that did attend, you know, some of the, the events in D.C., but um, I don't expect for that to happen. And, you know, DPS is going to work really hard to make sure that something like that does not happen and that everybody who's in the House is going to be safe. All right. Representative Gonzalez, stay safe, stay healthy. Thanks so much for being with us. We have extensive coverage of all the goings-on in Austin during the session on our website. Just click on the 87th Texas Legislature tag. Thanks to Congressman Joaquin Castro, Speaker Dade Phelan, and Representative Jessica Gonzalez for joining the show this week. Stay up to date with everything related to Texas politics, especially now with the state legislature in session at NBCDFW.com slash Lone Star Politics. We'll talk to you next week.